Hello, everyone, and welcome back. It's the Full 40 with Chris and Rob, part of the Stay Tuned Network, brought to you by Nova Insider. It is 9.30 on February 13th. It is Super Bowl Sunday morning, Valentine's Day Eve, a lot going on, a heavy weekend, and we have a lot to cover on this podcast. So what are we going to do? We'll recap a relatively uneventful and then very eventful game versus St. John's on Tuesday night. Uh, we'll talk about the nail biter, the, the same game that we always play against Seton Hall, like every single time that we play them. Um, we'll talk about a crazy week in Big East basketball, national landscape, uh, etc. Um, we have a uh, preview, obviously, of the Providence game on Tuesday. This is going to be the Big East game of the season. This is the Crazy. most important game of the season in the Big East Conference, and it's coming on Tuesday night. Um, and then finally, we have a extremely special guest, uh, Lucas Harkins, who is part of Heat Check CBB. Um, he is the second or third best bracketologist, depending on you look. I think it's tied for second, um, best bracketologist in the country per bracketmatrix.com. Literally ranked. <laughs> they actually rank their bracket, the bracketologists. So he's second, tied for second, versus Joe Lenardi, who everyone knows from ESPN, is 55th out of like 150 or 200 of these guys. And Jerry Palm from CBS is a hundredth, right? So like, so this guy is way better than, than, than Lenardi or Palm. So we're talking to literally one of the best people, the preeminent bracketologist in the country. So he's qualified, unlike yes. us. Yes, yes. We, that's what we do here on the podcast. We bring qualified people to. We, we, know, we, know, our, we know our shortcomings. Absolutely. Exactly right. Exactly Absolutely. right. Part of, all of life is knowing your strengths and weaknesses. One of our weaknesses is pretty much everything that we talk about. And so we bring on <laughs> Basically the whole people. podcast is Basically, our so We bring on strong people to cover that. Um, we'll talk a little bit about Nova's seating potential. Uh, and then we'll also uh, tee up a little bit about the Big East. And then there is supposed to be a bracket preview show, which has been, hap- which has been a tradition now for several years. Um, it's basically and- like the master's. Yeah. <laughs> a tradition unlike any other. Oh god. <laughs> the mid-season bracket reveal. The mid-season bracket reveal. Uh, but but we'll we'll look at what to expect uh kind of going into that show, which I believe is next week. Um so yeah, yeah we have point being long episode, but it'll be a good one. I'm really excited to talk to Lucas. That's definitely it's an element we've never had on the podcast before. So super cool to add this in. And yeah. you'll definitely hear a a take that you don't hear a lot of other places. So that's, yeah. uh, definitely stay tuned. I know it'll be a longer episode, but absolutely worth the, worth the listen. Yeah. You got to listen all the way to the end. This is Lucas is terrific. We and should, we should on... start, we should start telling that to people at the beginning of every episode, really good episode. Gotta listen to the end. <laughs> um, he's appeared on field of 68. I actually think he's going to appear on field of 68, uh, today, uh, later. So, uh, it's a good get for us. <laughs> pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. All right. Let's get um, into it. Yeah. So for, 
before we get too far into it, Rob, are you drinking anything? Unfortunately not. I'm, you know, I'm chopping out. It's 930 in the morning. I came back from the gym. I was like, I'm getting a Starbucks and I'm just rolling with it. And, and that's where I am today. I'll be honest, guys. I couldn't get the, I couldn't get the whiskey. I had some last night. I had some good whiskey last night though with Sandro, but alas, nothing this morning. Are you, are you carrying the load for both of us? I am. I am. I um, am ending dry January in style with uh, a maker's mark. Um, it is the morning. Um, so that's why I'm not going up up brand levels to like Woodford Reserve or Four Roses Small Batch or something like that. Um, so I, I'm, I'm sticking with the more traditional brand of Maker's Mark. Um, well, I'm, and, gl- I'm glad you're carrying the podcast, much like Jordan Longino carried the team yesterday <laughs> against Marquette or whoever the hell we played, Seton Hall. Uh, but yes, so no, you got, good, good on you. Good on by you. the way, who do you got tonight? Rams, um, You know what? I... I've gone back and forth on this. I kind of want Matt Stafford to win, but I like the energy of Joe Burrow and what he brings to the table. And the NFL is a quarterback-driven league, so I'm going with the guy who just brings all of the flash, all that big dick energy, Joe Burrow and the Bengals getting it done. I like it. Rob likes people who win national championships. You win national championships, Rob likes you. I do, and they have two. Him and Jamar Chase, so true. They get it done. Um, Who do you have? Yeah, I, I look at it and I'm just like, man, it seems like the Bengals are destined, doesn't it, to a, to a big degree? Like they, they it's the first time that's ever been since has ever been uttered. ever been uttered ever. Uh, but I, I don't know, I don't know. Like the Rams have a lot of talent and they're playing at home, which doesn't mean that they're going to have a lot of their fans there because they don't really have a lot of fans. But it's still like, I don't know. That's part of the thing. Anyway. I feel like who I'm going to root for, I have no idea. I'm literally going to watch the game and just pick up a rooting interest as the game goes on. But I'm not rooting against either team. So who um, do you have? you got to pick one. I'll be contrarian and go with the Rams because she's okay. the Bengals. Very contrarian. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's All right. go. we got to dig into this. So we're going to start off with a very special Alpha Dog of the Week segment. Arf, arf. Arf, arf. And Rachel is going to have a field day with this. Um, but our alpha dog dogs of the week are the Villanova women's team led by Maddie Super Segrist. Yes. Absolutely. They ha- they capped off, they've capped off a nine-game winning streak with a win at UConn, number eight, and handed them their first conference loss in 169 conference games. The last time UConn lost a conference game, the University of Connecticut was in the old Big East. That's pretty, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> so Villanova ends that at their place and then goes on to back that up because you can understand a letdown after that game. They back it up, take gets Marquette at home. Marquette's actually quite good. They were also, they came into the game 17 and five or something like that. Uh, and they were kind of playing from behind the entire game. Maddie Segrist scores two free throws before the end of game buzzer to send it into overtime, proceeds to score 10 of Nova's 16 points in OT. Nova runs away with it in overtime. And Wildcats pick up yet another big-time W. 
this was a sensational week in the villain for the Villanova women's team. It's been a sensational year. Maddie Segrist is unbelievable. Probably one of the best Villanova yeah. players ever. Um, yeah. Yeah. I got, I got to stop there. We, we mentioned her a little bit, I think last year too, because as a sophomore, she was already racking up tons of accolades last year. She was a finalist for the Katrina McLean award, um, which is, uh, you know, for the best power forward in the country. So again, as a sophomore, and then she's basically come back she came back, you know, she wasn't going to leave and go pro. Um, she came back, but has basically continued that streak and just absolute leadership level 42 points. Like you can't say enough about it. And yeah. that's just absolutely huge. So I love, I love what's happening there. I got to say like the women's team with, you know, obviously a, a change in leadership, um, moving on from their longtime coach after, you know, a couple of years back, <clears throat> Harry Peretta, yeah. just was inducted into the Villanova Hall of Fame. Yeah, but I mean, like, look, really on the great upward trajectory at this point. And obviously, when you have a player of Maddie's caliber leading the way, that's that's going to happen. Uh, but super, super cool to see both sides of the house, both the women's team and the men's team having a ton of success. So I love it. I'm really glad they are the Alpha Dogs of the week. And we have some cool new graphics coming on our Alpha Dog Award as well. Yes. So look out for that. I just want to highlight Maddie series. You mentioned the 42 points, but let's yeah. just talk about her week. 17 and 12 versus UConn. Follows that up with 42 and 13 versus Marquette. She is the, uh, I believe she actually did this in the Marquette game. She went from the eighth all-time leading scorer the sixth all-time leading scorer throughout the course of the Marquette game. Um, so I think she's a sixth all-time leading scorer. She's projected to get into like the top five in rebounds, top five in scoring, et cetera. You're looking at like potential GOAT status for Villanova women's basketball in, in Maddie Segrist. And many, many would say that she's clearly already going to be there. Um, so um very exciting stuff. The women's team is on absolute fire. We did a little bit of research uh, into their bracketology. What is what's their uh, prognosis? Sorry, I need to point out Maddie is also getting that NIL money as well. She is playing her game well. She is one of these outback sponsored athletes along with Colin. So good on her making the best and making the best of that opportunity. So I just yep. wanted to pause and call that out before you get into the bracketology chance. Yeah. Yeah. So Denise Dillon's, um, Denise Dillon's cats are, um, Oh, look at that. Look at that. Rob is showing me back teammates. <laughs> Maddie Segrist. That's how you know Love you've it. made it. That's Love how you know it. you've made it. Um, um <laughs> he totally threw me off on that one. There. Bracketology. What are the chances? Bra- bracketology. So, so did he steal its Wildcats are 17 and six. Um, and they're, but they're only 74th in the net. So the women's the, all NCAA sports use some version of the net. That's that, that was a overhaul overall. Um, they're 74th in the net, which put them actually kind of on the, just on the outside looking in of the bubble they're in the conversation for sure that win over UConn and the win over Marquette has kind of put them onto maybe the right side of the bubble uh they're seven and four in quad one games so they're so they definitely have uh, some good momentum and some good wins to back it up but you might be surprised like how could this team at 17 and six not be firmly in the conversation the women's game is a little different. There's a lot of 20 plus win teams 
um, versus the garbled mess that is the men's the men's side. Um, and on top of that, there's some really good conferences um, in the middle, uh, kind of more in the middle of the country in the SEC. You have a team like Tennessee, et cetera. So you got a lot and the Big Ten's good. Like, do you have a lot going on in other conferences across the country? The Big East is not the juggernaut in the women's game that it is in the men's game. Um, so this is not going to be like a six, seven team, uh, six, seven bid league. Um, UConn is obviously going to be get in with a high seed. DePaul typically tends to be pretty good. Um, but, but Villanova is trying to climb up those ranks, so to speak on the big East side, um, and get in with an at and be safe on an at large bid. What do they have to do? Their next two games are against an okay Seton Hall team. Um, and then, and then home versus a good DePaul team. Um, and who handed their, who handed their cats their last loss. Um, but the final three games in February are all very, very winnable before they get into Big East tournament play. Um, so if they can go four and one down the stretch here, I feel pretty good that they'll wind up on the right side of the bracket, but still some work to be done um, for the, for, for the, for, uh, for the women's team. Yeah. Crazy. But anyway, good shots to them. Um, love it. Hopefully they continue on and actually wrap up that, that tournament bit. That'd be sick. Absolutely. Um, all right. Let's dig in a little bit to the week that was. Um, so we saw two games. Uh, well, this- wait a minute. What? Let's not go there. It's Valentine's Day, Chris. Good point. We need to discuss the, the namesake of the segment. The man with the best ass in the NBA. The man who is not good at high fives. Got the man cake. who has been, he's got that cake. He's got that, that multi-city experience at this point. Josh Hart and the heart monitor. We would be remiss if we did not do a heart monitor segment preceding Valentine's Day. And in the in wake of Josh actually getting traded. So anyway, let's spend a minute on the NBA. Good call. Jump into it. Good call. Um, NBA trade deadline was just this past week. Couple of Villanova players on the move, one of which obviously we just mentioned, Josh Hart, got traded from the Pelicans to the Portland Trailblazers. Trailblazers, Josh's third team at this point, fourth if you count his stints in the G League. But it's such a pretty cool opportunity for him. He played his first game last night for the Trailblazers and had an awesome game 23 points, uh, pretty efficient performance. And it was their second leading scorer and really just kind of slotting in pretty seamlessly right off of the bat, which is good to see. I mean, if there's one thing Josh has already been known for in his career, it's been his ability to just adapt quickly, slot into any role. He's obviously got a great motor, great defensive player, can down and do the dirty work, but can also create a bit offensively too, and definitely showed that. So Josh is off to a new journey. I think it'll actually be pretty cool for him. Um, he seems pretty jazzed about it and seems to be, you know, from what you can read from social media seems to be embracing the opportunity. Um, and if Dame Lillard comes back at all the season seems unlikely, that's a neat opportunity to play with them. Um, I mean, so that's yeah, to play off a guy like Dame Lillard. Sick. Yeah. Um, it, it, he's probably not going to come back though. This no, year. not this year. Um, but, but that'll be, that'll be awesome for him to get that yeah. opportunity. Um, like he had the opportunity to play off of, uh, off of Zion. Just kidding. Cause Zion's always hurt. Um, anyway, other guy who got traded Dante DiVincenzo, in what was effectively a delayed trade, because if you remember last year, the Bucks also tried to trade him to the Kings, 
And then because I think it was a failed physical, the trade didn't go through. So Dante gets traded from the reigning NBA champion, Milwaukee Bucks, to the dumpster fire of the Sacramento Kings. And while Sacramento seems to be a terrible city and a terrible NBA franchise, it may actually be a decent opportunity for Dante. He kind of got pushed out of the rotation a little bit because he got hurt at the end of or towards the end of last year and had a really long recovery time. Grayson Allen basically took his spot on the Bucks. One, and, one point there. I was yeah. going to say, fuck yeah. Grayson Allen. Well, I mean, yeah, that's a given. Absolutely. Okay. Given. As long Absolutely. as we're all on yeah, board totally. with that. Yeah. We're we all on board with that. Anyway, Grayson Allen takes his spot. Just terrible, terrible, whatever. He gets relegated kind of to farther down the rotation. So this actually is an interesting opportunity for him to get some more minutes and really prove himself his contracts, his rookie contracts up um, at the end of this year. So he needs to kind of prove himself and get that money, if you will. Didn't have a great first game, but, you know, whatever. We'll see what it is. Um, so funny anecdote on Dante. Yeah. Um, real quick. So I post on Twitter. I'm like, I'm like, oh, man, feel bad for Dante going to this dog shit city and this dog shit franchise, which I still feel, by the way. I still I mean, agree with true. that. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Um, but but. A, 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 a fan of the podcast, a friend of the podcast who uh, who I follow as well, um, who's excellent at Willie Law, he posts in reply to me, oh, don't feel bad. This is actually good for Dante. He needs um, an opportunity to play more of a star role, and then he'll get a good payday coming out of this and probably wind up in a better place. Uh, so he posts that, which is like a valid point. Yeah. It's obviously a good point. He posts, I, I respond to him and I'm just like, I don't care. I still feel bad. No one should have to live in Sacramento. Um, but he, but he posts that point. Dante DiVincenzo himself likes the reply. Love it. Love likes it. Likes that reply. That's so so, so good. just to give you a sense of where Dante's head at, he's fine. Yeah, totally. Totally. And I would say he, he mentally kind of ran through the implications of going to Sacramento last year. So it's not the first time he's had to entertain this thought. Um, Anyway, other guy who I want to call out, uh, the podcast's favorite son, Jalen Brunson. A lot of talk about whether he was going to get traded. He was a hot commodity. He's having a great season and absolutely in line for a big payday at the end of this season. He ultimately did not get traded from the Mavericks, which is probably a good thing at this point. He's basically playing a starter role for the Mavs. He's got great chemistry on and off the court with Luca. The front office clearly loves him in Dallas. So you have to imagine that Dallas is going to do everything. Since they didn't trade him, they're going to do everything in their power to actually sign him and extend him towards the end of the year. So that's cool. And then Jalen followed that up. He had 22 last night on 8 of 17 shooting. So just continuing to contribute in a lot of great ways. Look, can't say enough about Jalen. He was, he was kind of shot on when he came out of college of like, Oh, he's not, you know, he doesn't have the NBA body. He's clearly done it. Uh, he's proven himself and just has a ton of value now. The, the one thing about Jalen Brunson is I'm not telling anything that any Villanova fans don't know. is the kid was a had a pro mindset since he's been like 17 years old. Did probably... you know his dad went to <laughs> temple and played in the NBA? It's true. It's true. That? The street, That's crazy. The That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, he is, um, so he's got a pro mindset and he's just been like, he works on his body. He works, he, he eats right. He does all the thing, all the little things behind the scenes that a lot of other guys struggle with. And then on top of that, he's like super smart, like 
insanely smart. And there's highlight reels galore now of him just absolutely putting people on skates. So you don't have to be the fastest, most explosive athlete, which by the way, I think his explosiveness is a little underrated. Um, but you don't have to be the fastest, most explosive athlete if you can outsmart everybody on the court every single time you take the floor um, and your skills are out- outrageous. So so he does I that. I tell myself every day. That's right. That's right, Rob. <laughs> um, but he does that and, and he's winning um, and he's doing great. So good for him. Hashtag winning. Okay. Anyway, enough on the heart monitor. It's Valentine's Day. Get out there and have your cake just like Josh Hart. Jesus Christ. Okay. I don't you know, know what, what, what were even, you just what were you just advising people to do? Like was that extra for interpretation? Like, was I that, think, yeah. I mean it was meant to you meant to have sex meant to have sexual connotations, but as well as cake, because I like cake as well. Like actual cake. So <laughs> all right. I think we need to move on. Let's move on. Uh, <laughs> all right. A pair of six point wins. Okay. A pair of six point wins. Um, in the Big East uh, this week. We predicted a one-in-one week, and at times it felt like it might actually come to fruition, but Colin Gillespie played, which may be the highlight. Yeah, totally, totally. Justin Moore played, which I think we kind of expected. Um, (laughs) Antoine was available to play. Uh, (laughs) We'll get to that in a moment. Um, but, But Villanova goes out, beats St. John's on the road, a team that is desperate, absolutely desperate to get themselves into the NCAA tournament conversation. And those chances are dwindling quickly. Um, And Seton Hall, who turned into non-January Seton Hall at the turn of the calendar month into February, and all of a sudden is good again, um, who absolutely put, gave us everything they had, despite being down Bryce Aiken, uh, gave us absolutely everything they could uh, in uh, at the Wells Fargo Center yesterday. Villanova wins both games by six. The final score of the St. John's game doesn't indicate the game and how it flowed uh, for most of it. Um, truth. But but with, let's, let's start there and say Villanova was up. <laughs> let's just set the stage here. It's Madison Square Garden. Brian and I had been in the city since like six o'clock. I had a bunch of beers. Won a trivia contest. Yes, we need yeah. we need to pause on this. This is very cool. You yeah. not only not only won a trivia contest, you smoked the trivia contest. I was quite impressed. Brian and I absolutely ran roughshod over St. John's uh, graduates, um, who I don't even know if they were graduates, but they were just old guys who liked <laughs> St. John's. Um, it's like random people. We win a fifty dollar. We right. win a fifty dollar gift card to Stout, which will be immediately reinvested into my liver, and then and then then we have a um, then we got a bonus question, uh, and we won two tickets uh, to the Big East tournament championship game. And good. by the way, section seven, row seven, so right underneath the hoop, pretty solid seats. Like right in the middle of the action. So cool. good seats uh, from the Big East Conference. I appreciated that. I thought for sure they were going to put us somewhere random, uh, but but they gave us good seats. Um, so so whatever. Get get it. I'm like I'm like all right. We're up twenty trains in ten minutes. I'm yeah. I'm like we're yeah, yeah. we're at like the under four. I'm out of here. See you later. Um, we we get down Penn Station. Get on the train, Rob. 
I pull up the game on my Fox Sports app, and we are up eight. We're up eight. Like, I just left the game. How did we all of a sudden go from down uh, up twenty to up eight, and then it got down to three? Terrible. Just terrible. You were there. Yeah. What the fuck happened? It was crazy. It was just a combination of some bad inbounding, some terrible, terrible clock management, a little bit of lack of ball control. And all of a sudden you go from, Hey, we're up 20, like you said, or whatever it was. Yeah. It was literally 20 to now it gets down to, it got as close as, as three, I think was, was the tightest it got. And And they had a shot to tie it. They had a shot to tie it. And like, there weren't that many fans left in the garden because like you did, most people left, but the people who were there were just like, what is happening? Like people were going crazy because as they should, St. John's somehow fought themselves back into this game. And did it was St. John's fight themselves back into this game. No, I mean, we, or did we, 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 cough we, them? we absolutely coughed up and let them back into this game, like criminally bad end of game performance there. And we've harped on this team's, this team being Villanova, this team's inability to close games this season this was just a masterclass in how to not do this. And had this been a better team that we were playing, we absolutely would have lost. But luckily, due to the ineptitude of St. John's being able to capitalize on such a glorious opportunity that we gave them, we were able to escape MSG with a win. But that's one Jay's got to look back and be like, the fuck happened here? Yeah. Like, it was, it was a mess. It was a really yeah. bad decision. And sometimes you could look at some, like, fluky shit at the end of games like that. And, and even the coaching staff or whoever can like say like, ah, you know what? That was kind of like, yeah. whatever. That was like, ah, that was outrageous. Like whatever. I, I hope they don't and they shouldn't. And I don't think they will because this team has notoriously struggled in the last parts of games. Um, and I identified this on Twitter yesterday um, versus Seton Hall. We complain a lot about the rotation. And by the way, we're going to continue to complain a lot about the rotation a little, in a little bit on this podcast. Um, but we complain about the rotation, but this is execution. This is pure and simple lack of execution, lack of focus. And one of the things that I'm noticing about this team, so I've put a lot of blame in the past on Jay. I'm putting the focus on Colin, Justin, and the entire Villanova Wildcats team. We get like over a hump, make a comeback or whatever, or, or get up what, whatever our players think is comfortable. And we start sagging on defense and, and like not making intelligent plays and trying to make these like cute passes and all this other shit. No, sorry guys. The name of our game is not turn the ball over. Like, like not turn the ball over, not make boneheaded plays. We play smart, right? Like that's our, that's the name of our game. And we play hard ass defense. Every single time we got over the hump in the Seton hall game. And when you put back into this, uh, that we were up 20 against St. John's, we take our foot off the gas. Yeah. That's not acceptable, guys. Like, that's just straight up not acceptable. You do that in NCAA tournament time when you think like, okay, we got over the hump now, we're going to be okay in a 12-point game maybe in second round. Like, And that team's going to come back on you and beat you. 100%. 100%. Right? Like, straight up. And that's what happened against UCLA. It's yep. what happened against Purdue. Yep. Okay? And it's what happened against Marquette. Um, at the pavilion, Marquette at the uh, at, at Pfizer is a different story, yeah. but that's exactly what happened. And by the way, it happened against Xavier. We won that game, um, and it happened a couple other times throughout the season. So, so this team needs to focus the fuck 
up <laughs> when it comes down. Focus up. Let's go. Yeah. When it comes down the stretch and it's time to step on teams throats, not, not let them back in. Oh God. Okay. We can let off the gas a little bit. We are over the hump now. No, yeah. it has to stop. And so I'll use that to transition into the Seton Hall game because that's exactly what we did in the Seton Hall, in the Seton Hall game. We went on one run to kind of in, at, the, at the close of the first half um, where Jermaine Samuels went on a seven point run himself. Um, who, who welcome Jermaine, um, the, the, the X factor, as we always say, welcome literally Jermaine. you this never week, know what you're going to get this week. Welcome Jermaine. Hello. Is it Jermaine-uary? I don't know. Maybe could be Jermaine is like a box of chocolates. Yeah, you never yeah, know man. what you're going to get. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, so Jermaine does that. Uh, sorry. Jermaine goes on a seven point run himself. We take the lead at the end of the first half and then immediately let them score like five, six unanswered points. Um, uh, to, to take the lead into halftime. Then in the second half, we get Jermaine stays in the paint for like five minutes, um, which this was a call that should have been made by the refs. Oh my like, gosh, yeah, that's like, so true. I, I think, I think handedly we got the better end of the whistle yesterday. This, this particular sequence is like why I understand Seton Hall's fans ref grapes is that Jermaine was in the point paint for like a, 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 an hour Passes out to Caleb at the end of the shot clock, who who drills a three. Willard goes fucking ballistic. Yeah, gets himself it. teed up. He earned the technical, um, but he was right to be mad. <laughs> and so and so then that leads to a 9-0 run. We go up five in the game, and then immediately take the foot off the gas. It, it, yeah, and just them, a run right back. Yeah, we, let we, them we were, shoot two open threes, and they take the lead right back. We were talking about this. Um, on site during the game. And it was like, Oh, looks like Willard's, you know, T didn't really work out for him because it basically was like, his point was you shouldn't have gotten that three pointer. And that three pointer basically extended to like a seven point swing for us. But then, yeah, as you said, like we just didn't do anything with it and let them right back in. And yeah. I don't know, here we are. And, and it happened two or three times yesterday, by the way, it happened yeah. on, on two or three occasions, ultimately down the stretch Seton Hall didn't execute well. Um, and we did. Uh, Colin Gillespie was everywhere um, at the end of the game, got every rebound out of nowhere. Um, so, so, and they, uh, Kadari Richmond, who was having a good game for them, like Jackson, Jackson's shot, it, yeah. you know, at, it, it early in a shot clock, takes a terrible shot. They should have gotten the ball in the glass. They were beating the shit out of us on the offensive boards. Um, so, so they, they don't execute well down the stretch. We do. We win the game. Great. Congratulations. Um, but, but this is a problem from a narrative. You want to talk narrative? This team yeah. loses focus. That's a narrative. You That's want to, true. Just, That's want true. to jump into the narrative? Point? I like it. I like it. Yeah. That's good. The, the first narrative, this team loses focus after like, after getting a lead or whatever. Yeah. And this is the difference between, to me, um, what differentiates like a good Villanova team, like that's a championship quality team and a team like this, who maybe makes the sweet 16 elite eight, but is, 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 is kind of lost in space a little bit here. They don't close games. Yeah, no, I totally, I totally agree. The other narrative that I, I don't want to spend too much time on it because we've just beaten it to fucking death, but like continues to blow my mind is whatever the fuck is happening with the bench here. Like it's insane. Antoine played four minutes, four minutes yesterday. I got Jordan, by the way, they were good four minutes too. Yeah. Jordan Longino played zero minutes. Like I, we, we've talked about this every single podcast, basically with the exception of one. So like, you know, the narrative, you know what the deal is. It pisses me off though. I got to say, I'm, just, I'm done. 
I'm done. <laughs> yeah. The narrative has not gone away and it will continue. It'll right. continue until morale improves, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Which like, it, it, it probably won't. <laughs> yeah. The free throw shooting narrative though, still good. Still good. Yeah. Still good. We didn't necessarily do our best foot forward on the St. John's game, but made up for that in the St. Hall game. And Eric Dixon continuing to draw um <laughs> to draw lane violations. It's fucking incredible. I tried, I tried to look up, I tried to do a little research to see if there is an actual record of that. I don't I couldn't find any stats that were kept on that because it's such an obscure thing that is typically very rarely called. So there wouldn't really be a, a reason you necessarily look into it. So we're gonna have to do a little bit more research. But Dixon in the Seton Hall game would have would have drawn two lane violations. But he hit the shot. But he hit the shot. Yeah. It was very clear, like the ref was ready to call it, but then the ball went in. And I was like, yeah, he almost had it. Like, <laughs> um, all right. Awards. Awards. Shaq Fit Man player of the week. It's kind of a team award that I'm giving. I think you're going to disagree with me. Um, kind of a team award that that I think that dive on the ball by Dixon in the St. John's game that ended up with a pass to a Caleb Daniels layup was like when we talked like quote in quotes Villanova basketball. That was Villanova basketball guy getting on the floor, making a hustle play, having the smarts to pass the ball out. Guy in the right position gets an easy layup. That was Villanova basketball. I'm going with that Snooze, as the news. Rob, oh, Rob I'm sorry. Is, Rob's I'm sorry. going for the rack attack. Your, your, man, rack attack. your man play as a layup? Stop. This is absolutely <laughs> nuts. It would have to be a Michael Jordan-esque, like, reverse under-the-hoop layup for that to get a Shaq fit man play of the week. The clear and obvious answer for me is the Jermaine Samuels X-Factor box of chocolates coming at you full force against Seton Hall yesterday. Just absolutely tomahawked it, threw it down. It was good for momentum too. To your point, good for morale. Jermaine has to get this. This isn't even... This isn't even in consideration. When I saw this in the notes that you were putting something else up here, I was like, like, what, what are we talking about here? Like taking crazy pills. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it's, it's Jermaine for me. It's Jermaine. Um, the pass the fucking ball award of the week is difficult um, this week yeah. uh, because, because we just talked about the J thing with the minutes allocations, but I want to give it to that. And then the problem is I kind of want to give it to Arch because of what happened at the end of the St. John's game. Um, but he hits that enormous three yesterday. Uh, but I think I'm still going to give it to him anyway. I'm yeah, going to acknowledge the enormous three that he hit. Yeah. Acknowledge that enormous three that he hit yesterday. But I'm going back to the St. John's game. And he was trying to pass the fucking ball, but he kept passing the fucking ball to St. John's. Yeah. And so and so for that reason, Chris Archidiacono earns my pass the fucking ball award of the week. Maybe it should be called pass the fucking ball to our team. <laughs> got to specify. Got to specify. Yeah. Uh, I like it. I like it. I'm on board with that. All right. Game All right, preview. Let's let's Providence. Yeah. We're not going to preview Georgetown because they fucking suck. Literally, right. I looked up. I looked up dumpster fire in the dictionary, and there's just a picture of Georgetown right now. Boom. Um, we're previewing Providence Tuesday night, the first meeting of two between these two teams. Providence is 21 and two on the season. Crazy. Only has one loss, a blowout loss, by the way, at Marquette. 
uh, but only one loss in Big E's play this season. They are 9-0 and in games decided by five points or fewer. They are terrible in the metrics, in like the advanced metrics. Because of those five-point wins, like yesterday's overtime win versus DePaul, because of that, they're like awful in the metrics. They're like number 47 in Ken Palm, but they have one of the best resumes in the country because they're 21-2 and two against the Big East. And on top of that, they've beaten Wisconsin and Texas Tech, two top 15 teams. So this is a team with a good resume. Like, it is crazy. We'll get into this with Lucas because bracketologists have no fucking idea what to do with Providence because a lot of weight has been put on of late these like quality metrics like Ken Palm um, who, who talk about efficiency, which measure how good you beat teams, like how bad you yeah. beat teams, right? And that weighs efficiency, like point differential in games is an indicator of how good you are versus a team like Providence who, yeah, they kind of keep everybody into it, but they win all their games. So, so what do you do with a team like that? So, like, Half the Big East is like, this team is a fraud. Like, like they're just lucky. Like we talked about the podcast, they're kind of luck type season. Uh, but but it, they keep winning the game. So it's, it is, at some point you have, to, you have to tip your cap and say, you know what? They're just going to continue to win games. You're going to win close, but they'll win them. Yeah, and, and I, I think there, there's something to be said for that that I don't want to overlook because yes, like that doesn't play out in the metrics, but I remember the best comparison, I have to change sports, but the best comparison I can think of is Ohio State when they won their championship with Maurice Claret years ago. That was the knock way back, way back. Jim, uh, Jim Trussell area, era. Um, that was the knock on them that season two is like, oh, you know, they, they just squeak out these wins. They just squeak out the wins. And then they won a fucking national title. Like, I mean, that's at some point, like you got to get credit for, for winning games. Like, yeah. Right. They're close, but they won. Like, right, right, isn't right. that the ultimate metric? Right. They won. Okay. They and there's something to be said for like they know they know how to do that. And there's yes. a mentality that, okay, we know it's going to be close. We're comfortable with that, which is something that our team doesn't seem to be very no, we don't know with. how to do that. Yeah. We don't know how to do that. No, that's so, actually a part that's our narrative going into this game is is that Villanova does not know how to close games. And or or we do because we have the personnel that has shown they can um, in the past, but we're not doing it this year. Yeah. Versus Providence, who is who like literally like this is great. I was watching the DePaul game yesterday and they have uh, they have um, said no, whatever. <laughs> they have um, Durham on their team. And Durham, when he comes in late in games, like he plays, he's a rotational bench. He's a rotational player. When he comes in late in games, they literally play Enter Sandman, which is Mariano Rivera's like closer music. Like they have their like closers. They bring Durham in and he gets to the cup and gets free throws. And like, that's how you close games out. It's smart. Like he, he's like, he's a blur, gets to the rim at will and like draws a foul. They have, um, um, they have Nate Watson, who gets every rebound down the stretch and throws it down and, and, and crushes teams like on, on the glass. And so they do everything right down the stretch. I've watched this team play like 10 games recently, and they literally do every, they execute everything that you would want a team to do down the stretch to win games. It's a skill. It's, it's absolutely a skill. It's absolutely a skill. 
Like luck is that Ken Palm calls it a luck factor. It's a bit of a skill factor too. Yeah. It's a skill so, factor. They, every, they, they look, look, this team does not play a fast tempo. So all their games are like sixties or, you know, low seventies, high fifties. That's all their games, which by the way, is comfortable for us. They're not going to blow us away with speed or anything like that. They're not going to try and speed us up, but they keep you in front of them. They have an all world defender in Justin Manaya. Um, and they have kind of like the right guy at every position. Noah Horkler at the four is a stretch four that if he's hot, he reminds me of Chris Jenkins in 2016. Straight up. Straight up. And that's a that's a big and that and that he's an excellent, excellent rebounder and can just absolute drill clutch shots. Right. Like, like when, when I'm watching him, I'm like, oh my God, that guy, like he gets the ball late in the game. I think and a three going up, it's going in. Period. That's, wow. That's a, that's high praise. That's yeah. high praise. <laughs> and you pair him with Nate Watson. <laughs> Excuse me. They're Jared Bynum. Um, AJ Reed. They, this is the team that is just like, they have like seven or eight guys and they, they're connected. They do everything right. Um, and so like, yeah. Do I think that they've been a little bit lucky? Yeah. Some, some, sometimes I do think they've been a little bit lucky. They, and they, and they're not having to play some of these away games that maybe they wouldn't have the advantage. They don't have to play totally. at Creighton. They don't have to play at Seton Hall. That's, that's big. But, like, but, right? but like, okay. So, so play those couple games that they missed out in worst case, right? They pick up a couple losses. They're what 20, maybe they, maybe they lose two of those three, right? So that puts them at what? 22 and four. Yeah. That's right. a great record. No, no, they still won the games, right? Yeah. Like straight up. Like it's um, a great record. They're number 11 in the AP this week. They are probably, I, I, I played this out. I think they will jump to about number eight um, in the rankings um, next uh, for, for next week. So, I mean, look, they, they keep winning games. They're keep going to keep getting love. Yeah. As they should, as they should. Yeah. Um, so, so, so what look, do we think? Are we winning? Ken Palm, because Ken Palm is like, is putting all of this jumbled thing. I mentioned they're 47 in Ken Palm. Like they, they put this all together and Ken Palm has us as four point favorites on the road. I'm not seeing it guys. Like I don't see it. The Dunkin' Donuts Center has been electric this year. They were electric versus DePaul. It's been like the best. It's been one of the best home court advantages all season long. This arena might crumble on Tuesday night. It, it, there's not like the infrastructure might not hold. This I, is going to be a crazy environment. Like in case you didn't know, like, yeah, we get everyone's best shot. But this is like Providence fans. Like I've interacted with them on Twitter. They are like, no, we want to play both games versus Nova because you have to slay the king to be the king. This is this is their mentality. They believe that they have to earn their Big East championship, unlike Xavier in 2018, who lost badly to us twice, yeah. but won all the rest of their games. Uh, this is their mentality. They're like, we have to win versus Villanova or we don't deserve a Big East regular season championship. This is for everything for them. This game is literally their Super Bowl on I, Tuesday night. I, I, I don't know. I'm a little bit skeptical of your talk of the fear of the dunk. I chalk this up a little bit to your narrative around athletic St. John's all the time. You're always scared of St. John's. We talked about this last week, scared of St. John's thought it was garbage. Then 
look, this Providence team is a good team by all means. Are our guys scared of the Dunkin' Donuts Center? Absolutely not. Do I think it's going to be that much much of an advantage? Absolutely not. Do I think we're going to win? Yes, I do. I think our team, I think like without a doubt, I think it's going to be like a six point win. And it's going to be, it's not even going to be one of these like six point wins of like, oh, like we made some free throws at the end. It's going to be like solid six point win. I think we go in there. Like they chip away at the end. They chip away at the end. Yeah. Okay. I think it's going to be, I just, for whatever reason, yeah, they're going to give us our best shot. I'm just feeling that our guys are going to, I don't know, even with a hobbled Colin, just be like, yeah, we don't, we don't really lose to Providence. Like we're not going to do that. So it's more of a little bit more of a gut feel for me. So, so, so playing this out for the Big East regular season, if we win out, including beating Providence twice, yeah, and they win out other than losing to us twice, we edge them for the Big East regular season championship. Mm. If we split with them and then otherwise win out, and they otherwise win out, then they edge us for the Big East regular season championship. So they get a split, they get this done, right? Yeah. Like, and their schedule is not hard down the stretch. Ours, we have to still play at UConn, so there's a losable game. And we got to play yeah. a fucking Butler who beats Marquette yesterday out of nowhere. Yeah, very weird. Um, so, so like, who knows what to expect there. But, but like, so there, this is like, we have to pretty much win out to beat them. I do think they're going to take a, a, a mystery L down the stretch. Um, yeah. and I think we're going to lose to UConn or, or one of those other games. So like, I, I still think we're going to, two both teams will take a mystery L. So if we expect or want to win the biggest regular season, we have to sweep them. Here's why I think we will not win at the dunk. I think that we will be up with about five to 10 minutes left in this game. And we're going to do the same shit that always happens. They're going to do the same shit that always happens. And they are going to win by like three or four points because they don't have to close and we don't, which by the way, long-term prospects, that might be a good experience for us because like finally Jay might be able to point to game uh, tape of another team and say, look how good they execute down the stretch. Look how poorly you execute down the stretch. But I think with 10 minutes to go in this game, we're up like five or six along the lines of where you said, and we don't execute, they fail to execute. The old snake comes to bite us in the ass again, and 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 we lose. All right, we shall see. We shall see. Um, and then we beat Georgetown. To be very yeah. clear, like yeah, there's, and there's then we're going to win against Georgetown, which yeah. is fine. Um, okay, really quick, we need to set up because we got Lucas on the way in yeah. just a few minutes. Um, we need to set it up. Going across the uh, Big East. I mentioned Marquette loses against Butler. They also lost against UConn this week. So Marquette goes 0-2. This is a two-horse race for the conference championship. It's us and Providence. Both UConn lost uh, against Xavier the other night. Xavier picks up random L's every so often. Creighton right now is tied for third in the Big East uh, regular season out of nowhere. DePaul is giving everybody a hard time. Um, Dan Hurley gets reprimanded because he goes absolutely ballistic on Friday night against the referees. Get his bench gets teed up twice down the stretch. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty much what he's done for though. Yeah. That's his thing. Yeah. And, and so biggest conference is absolute mayhem right now. Um, but it's, it's a two horse race for the one seed in the big East tournament. And candidly, as much as I want that big East regular season championship, you and I have talked about this. 
playing on seven at 7 p.m. on Thursday night is also pretty good. Yeah, uh, much better. Um, all right, looking around the country, a lot of ranked teams lost this week. Nice, nice. Auburn lost at Arkansas in a crazy finish. Like, literally, the game ends. Like, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, literally, the game ends. The lights go out in the arena, and, and the students storm the court. Like, Auburn players couldn't even see where they were going. So crazy. weird. Um, Purdue lost at Michigan, obliterated by Michigan at Michigan. Michigan then goes on. Everyone's now like, oh, Michigan's make the tournament, blah, 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 even though they've had a fucking dog shit season. Um, they go on the, they go to and play Ohio state at home and Ohio state just whips them. Um, so I don't know. Michigan seems like fool's gold right now, but who knows? They can get hot. Um, Arizona has stayed light, like super hot. They've won three games. They won three games this week. Kentucky stays hot. Houston loses two games. Houston goes on the road to SMU loses, loses at home versus Penny Hardaway's dog shit Memphis team. Um, crazy Duke loses versus UVA on like a, not a buzzer beater, but like a late game three. Yeah. Uh, then got the worst foul against them of all time, uh, versus Clemson. That was oh, like, was that guy terrible. Been, that guy should have been arrested. He got, a, right? yeah, he got a flagrant too. And he, he did apologize afterwards. So he apologized, got suspended for one game, which I still thought was light by the way. Yeah. It was just real bad. Kansas lost to Texas. Texas Tech lost at Oklahoma, so the Big 12 continues to just eat itself alive. Um, so you've got, to be clear, you've got six of the 10 top 10 teams taking losses this week. Yes. At number 12 in UCLA, lost at USC last night. Illinois, number 13, lost at Purdue. Wisconsin lost at home to Rutgers. So, so where does that all wind up? <laughs> um UConn and Xavier, by the way, are number 24 and 25, both picked up L's this week. We've been joking that they've got to get out of the rankings for like the longest time. Yeah. I feel like finally this is the week that They'll they would get do it. Out. Yeah. <laughs> but but who knows? They Xavier in particular has lost like every week for like the last like seven weeks and still manages to stay ranked because like people love what they're able to do. Uh, but I don't know. But I think they finally fall out. I think Marquette, even though they lost to Butler, stays in comfortably because everyone behind them lost. Uh, Providence, I think I mentioned earlier, goes to number eight. I think Villanova will jump uh, UCLA, Illinois, and Wisconsin, and Houston uh, to go from 15 to 11. So I think on Tuesday, we're looking at an 11 visiting number eight. And this is this is fine. It, it is what it is. Like. I don't doubt your math. It's just like how the rankings work. People move people up and down. You know, I, I have some issues with just the nature of that. Of like, oh, like, are we the 11th best team in the country? I don't know. From what I've seen, like, you know, you're putting us ahead of UCLA. I, I don't know. Like, are we going to beat UCLA again on neutral court? Maybe. I think we would beat UCLA on neutral. I don't know. We'll see. I'm, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That's just the nature of the rankings. So yeah. anyway. That's kind of the look around that we need to do uh, yeah. before we jump on with Lucas, who will be joining us in just a second. Cool. So at the, at the back end of this little 20-second break here, uh, whatever Brian decides it's going to be, um, we will have Lucas Harkins uh, joining us um, to talk some bracketology as we enter the final month before March Madness.
welcome back from the small break. We just teed you up for this bracketology segment uh, that we're about to have. Um, and we are very thankful to welcome Lucas Harkins with Heat Check CBB, uh, who is at, you can follow him on Twitter, at Hardwired Sports. Lucas is, uh, he appears on uh, the Field of 68, Fielding the 68 show. Um, and he is one of the most preeminent bracketologists in the country. Um, a lot of you guys might be like, really? I've only heard of Lunardi and Jerry Palm. Um, but Lucas is way better than these guys. Um, so so literally ranked, tied for second. Lucas, I have to apologize. I actually said third on the podcast. But then I realized that bracket matrix puts you third because of like, I don't know, alphabetical order or something. Um, and you're tied for second in bracketmatrix.com, who literally does a ranking. So let me walk everyone through this. I just want to set up Lucas's expertise here. Uh, Bracket Matrix is a wisdom of crowds of bracketologists, but they also do a ranking of bracketologists. Uh, And how they do that is after the selection show every year, um, you get three points for picking the correct team. So if you pick the right field, you get three uh, three points per team. you get three points for correctly seeding a team. And then you get one point for seeding a team within one seed line of, of where they ultimately end up. And they don't do anything crazy like judge you on the regions because the committee sometimes makes weird decisions around that. Um, but the perfect score with 68 teams is 408. Um, and Lucas scored last year 364. Uh, so by comparison, Joe Lunardi, who is ranked 55th of all bracketologists, um, scored a 354 last year. Jerry Palm, who's ranked 100th, scored 343 last year. And Mike DeCourcy on Fox, who's a good newcomer, um, scored a 356 last year. So that's all the setup that we're talking to one of the best bracketologists. Lucas, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, before we get into it, Lucas, who do you, who do you got today? The Super Bowl. You know, you have to bring up football as a really, really, really depressed Packers fan. Um, <laughs> but I really, since the Packers went out, I've rooted for the Bengals, so I will continue to do so. Um, and I'll go with the Bengals. Love it. I will also add that Lucas has a big East interest here. Um, Lucas is a Butler grad. Um, shouts to James Danko, um, yes. but <laughs> president Danko, Jimmy, Jimmy D president Danko was the Dean of business school when we were there. Um, so, so shouts there. there's a mutual connection. Um, um, is he still the president of Butler? Uh, yeah, as far as yeah. I know, I, he was, he was when I graduated in 2019. So Lucas, congrats on the big win yesterday, uh, versus Marquette, a bigger win than most people know. I'm from Milwaukee. So I grew up an anti-Marquette fan. So it's, it's, a big one. it's, <laughs> it's a big enormous one. for you. You're having a great day. <laughs> great weekend. Love it. All right. So we got to jump in to um, the bracket and we will post the link to Lucas's bracketology uh, uh, as uh, you know, throughout the rest of the season, we're going off of Lucas's bracket uh, for the rest of the regular season here. We're going to talk Villanova first. And so as of Friday evening, um, Villanova was the three seed in your Eastern region. Um, I know you're three seed in the East. 
Where does Villanova fall on your S curve, though? Thirteen. Uh, am I doing math right? Yeah, nine. They're the top three seed for me, and I think that that's. I think okay. they were actually they were still in the conversation for me um, for the last two. I think Nova and Duke are pretty close overall. Uh, I think there's some disagreements there amongst bracketologists, and I'm probably a little bit higher on Nova than most. Um, but I think their resume sets up to be a pretty solid three right now, and, and I think they're closer to a two than a four. Interesting, because I look at uh, we're gonna I'm gonna bring them up. I'm gonna compare. So like most fans who are just trying to like, hey, I'm just going to grab like what's the bracketology situation right now. We're going to look at Lunardi, who posts everything all the time. And I think he overreacts to every Nova loss, by the way. But that's, I'm sure every fan of every team thinks Lunardi overreacts. Um, what What's the difference between where you have Lunardi, uh, sorry, where you have Villanova and when Lunardi has Nova, who he's got him on like 15th on the S curve. Yeah, I'll say to your point, anyone who calls if you're a bracketologist and you get called out for overreacting to something, that's like the number one criticism that I can, that I can take. Like overreacting is hard to really deal with because it's kind of against the, the nature of bracketology. You really have to avoid those overreactions uh, when you're going into to, uh, total body of work. And I look at a team like LSU this year, which has had like a, a massive run of bad games, but they're still sticking around a five or a six seed just because their body of work is that good. Um, and I think that's where we're at with Villanova it, with like just people kind of overreact to those losses more towards the top of the seed list than anything. Um, because really the gaps between teams on the one to four seeds are bigger than they are anywhere else in the bracket. <laughs> um, they just are sizably different. Like the, the first eight seed compared to the last nine seed is not very much. Whereas the top two seed and the top three seed, it, that's a pretty big jump sometimes. Um, with regards to Nova, I, I think their metrics are awesome, um, pretty much across the board. Uh, if you're just doing a straight, even weighting of quality metrics versus resume metrics this year, they deserve the last two seed. Um, and, and Duke is right in that mix as well. But, but after that, I think there's, there's a pretty decent fall off between the rest of the teams in that mix. Uh, Nova has the advantage top 10 in every single quality metric, um, which not many other teams competing for that two or three line have, um, nine and six in quads one and two. Very good record, no losses outside of those regions. Um, I don't really have a problem with them being on a three or, or even a two line right now. The four, I, I, I struggle to see, um, but I think that comes down to a topic I know you already have planned to talk about later, and, and that's how the committee is going to view a team like Providence. Yeah. Um, with metrics, don't mind the lineup at all with where Villanova is. Nova's far ahead in those quality metrics by uh, 33 spots across an average, but, but obviously Providence is a better record. Um, and a better record in quality games too. Yeah. So it, it comes down to what the committee is going to do with Providence. And I'm a little bit lower on where they have PC um, compared to Villanova. So let's talk about metrics just for a second. Talk about what metrics appear on a team's team sheet. Um, you and I actually had a funny debate because um, I was like, Hey, wait a second. I thought Jerry Palm said that, that like Ken Palm doesn't appear on the team sheet. And it turns out, Ten Palm very much appears on a team's team sheet. So what metrics appear on a team sheet beyond like record and other stuff like that? Okay. So you're going to have your record, obviously um, your net, which is the NCAA's evaluation tool, uh, which is generally you, your net, your own net matters to some extent, but I think is more valuable when it comes to evaluating your quadrant records, which is determined by your, your opponent's net. So quad one would be, uh, road win over a top 30 team, a, a home win over a top 30 team in the net and a, and a road win over the top 75. Um, and then the quadrant two, three, four, et cetera. 
Uh, and then there's resume metrics, which is the KPI and strength of record. And then quality metrics, your BPI, Ken Palm, and Sagarin. Right. Okay. And, so, and Chris, the, just to clarify, the team sheet you're referring to is what? Basically, something what the, that committee the committee looks has. Like. Yeah. The committee has a team sheet on every team. And I imagine this goes out to like 80, 100 teams or whatever it may be that are in consideration. Uh, maybe 100 is a lot, but like, yeah. you know, a, a lot of teams that would be in theory in consideration. And they're looking for do I put them in the tournament and then where do I seed them? Cool. And so, and Lucas, correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, but they look at this team sheet and that's how they make their evaluations and place teams accordingly. Correct. Essentially, your team sheet is a horizontal sheet of paper that includes all the metrics that I mentioned, your, your results in quadrants. So you have your four um, columns, quadrant one, and then it lists out your results that were in quadrant one games, quadrant two, lists out, et cetera, um, including your strength of schedule as well as a metric that's on there, although that's not necessarily as um, based in stuff as resume and quality, but to some extent there's strength of schedule um, that goes into things. Although I think strength of schedule is kind of an overrated metric uh, because it's already built into those quality metrics and strength. Yeah. Of schedule. So, so it's not as important just because it's, it's singular number isn't necessarily that vital because it's already built into the metrics that are already on the board. And to your point about overreaction, like, like, at this point, a team's metrics, barring like a like a crazy performance, don't change a lot because it's February 13th and there's like 20 games plus of data that's already in there. So each individual game is not shifting the data a lot. Especially when you're at the top. Um, there's just bigger gaps at the top of everything. So like we talk a lot about how Michigan made a huge jump um, for its dominant win uh, over over Purdue this past week. But if you're looking at Villanova just on Ken Palm right now, they're ninth with a 25.41 adjusted efficiency metric. If they were to drop out of the top 16, they'd have to drop five efficiency points, which is the same difference between number 16 and number 40. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> I mean, they, 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 all of college basketball is a, is, a, is a dramatic standard deviation curve. Correct. Yeah. And so, and so when you, when you're talking at the top teams, it's really hard to fall way back. Yeah. You have to get blown. Like Purdue got blown out and they're still top 10 in every quality metric. Right. And that's because they have a historically good offense. Um, Okay, cool. So one thing I know I do have to pick, uh, like just pick your brain a little bit on is you have Nova as the three seed in the East. Yep. I've said on this podcast in the past, I've said, if we're not the one, we're not getting in the East. And here's why. <laughs> Nova fans have a, me- a bad memory. Now, it's a good memory of the year, but it's a little bit of a bad memory of the past. Uh, in 2016, this is, a, this is the example, the Philadelphia, Philadelphia hosted the Eastern Regional, um, where, North Carolina, um, where North Carolina won uh, that regional. Um, but Nova was like in the conversation for a one seed late in that year. The loss in the Big East Championship game for Seton Hall kind of ultimately was like the final drag on their resume in a very tight top like seven or eight seeds of that year. Um, seven or eight on the S curve. I mean, uh, it was very tight at the top. It was like basically like every team was jockeying for that last uh, spot on the one line. Uh, but but ultimately, they were about like the first or second best two seed that year. Um, Xavier also nabbed the two seed. Based on the bracket rules, so Villanova played three games or less in the Wells Fargo Center, which they're doing this year. Uh, you would think that Villanova would be placed in Philly because 
you know, my understanding is that the tournament committee preferences geography um, with when dealing with their teams. The committee that year, we got placed in the South. Xavier got put in the East, um, which didn't make a whole lot of geographical sense uh, because the South region was in Louisville that year, which is right around the corner from Xavier, um, who's in Cincinnati. And so they flipped us too, which seemed to protect UNC and Kansas. Uh, now, obviously, we went on to beat Kansas, so everything was good and hunky dory. And then we went on to beat UNC. Everything was fine at the end of the at the end of the day. Um, but you would think that Villanova would have been in the Eastern Regional that year, and so you would forgive Villanova fans for feeling a little bit like, yeah, we're not going to be in the Eastern Regional if we don't get the one seed. So, so let's talk a little bit about that. Is your regional assignment kind of like, well, this is what the rules say, or, or, or used to looking at stuff like that, even as, as, on that detailed level? Yeah, I, I think it's a little different right now with Nova as a three compared to the example you have um, in particular, because I think the committee, now I don't have any facts to back this up, but I think the committee is, is more likely to, be, be give a little bit of that leeway on not really playing home games um, when it comes to one, two seats, because they really want to separate the best ones and the worst twos uh, really want to put those together. I mean, so, so if you're going to have Villanova as clearly your number five, you really just can't plug them in the number one seats region. Um, it, it's just a punishment to the number one seat in that region. Okay. So I think that that's, that's something that, that, that. So in a uh, weird way, in a weird way, by being a three seed, Villanova's almost hoped uh, helped in their case for being correct. in the Eastern Regional. Well, at least being in the, the like not at the top of the two line. Right. I think it's it's odd that the top of the two line probably gets, to, with lack of a better word, shafted when it comes to their geographical preferences. But they aren't going to be able to play in the probably not going to be able to play in the number one overall seeds region, which this year and in some years in the past actually isn't that bad a deal because Gonzaga has often been the number one overall seed and pretty much most of the twos are on the East coast. Um, so they're usually not that bad a shape as far as this particular bracket that has Villanova in the East um, that came down. That actually was pretty easy from a bracketing situation. And I don't know how, if they had my exact seed lines, I would have to imagine Villanova would be on, in the East because Purdue is the two seed in the East. When I have, Wisconsin and Illinois both on the three line and you cannot put Wisconsin or Illinois in the East region then because they have to be separated by they conference. have to be separated the, because the top four in each conference if they're on the top four seed lines have to be in different regions gotcha, um, gotcha. so okay. that, that automatically puts Illinois and Wisconsin in either the west south and midwest um, in which case I threw them in the south and the midwest which left me with Texas Tech and Villanova and I can't imagine any rational committee puts Texas Tech in the east and Villanova in the West. You have you just have to we hope. God. <laughs> you that'd hope. Be, be wild. I mean, we hope. We hope. I mean, look, from our perspective, Villanova can beat Villanova can lose to anybody, but Villanova can beat anybody in the country um, on the right day. And if they're at the Wells Fargo Center, we think we can make a final four run. If 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 they're not at the Wells Fargo Center, I don't know. We could lose to the, the 16 seed. I don't know. <laughs> like, uh, but like you know, it's 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 just a little bit of a mess. I don't think we could lose to the Sweet six, uh, a 16 seed, but you get my point. Um, so let's dive a little bit deeper here on Nova. Do they have a chance still at the one line, or is that crazy talk? Uh, I think it's tough. 
I, I think we, we've seen a separation to me. I've, I've talked about how Villanova was close with Duke from our last two. Yeah. Uh, but Duke is sizably behind the first seven. Right. Uh, I think those, those top seven are pretty cut clear right now. Um, Gonzaga, Auburn, Arizona, Kansas, Kentucky, Purdue. Baylor, and Purdue. Yeah. Uh, not in order. I was just making sure I had them. In. <laughs> right, 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 right. right. Uh, I think those top seven are definitely a step ahead. And I look at probably Baylor or, or, or Purdue maybe as my number seven right now. And Villanova's sizable behind all of them. Okay. Um, they have more losses. They have six losses. Kentucky has four. Purdue has four. Um, Kentucky has nine quad one and two losses I and mean, quad one and two wins, just like Nova. Purdue has 11 of those. Their metrics are pretty much similar across the board, um, especially when it comes to Purdue, whereas Kentucky is a little bit higher in most quality metrics. Um, so I think Villanova maybe has an outside shot at getting there. I feel more comfortable saying that they have a shot at two as they progress. Um, but let me check Villanova's remaining schedule. Uh, I can tell you yeah. almost yeah, off the top of a whole lot. It's at, at, at Providence, which is like resume wise, a great win, but like metric wise, we'll get into not this awesome. in a second. Not great. Um, and then, and then they have at, they have Georgetown at home, which does nothing. You lose, um, you actually will be removed from my field. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? Understandably I so. If you lose against Georgetown at home, you should be disqualified from the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I agree. Um um, and then they do play at UConn and at, um, and sorry, at Providence at home. Uh, but then we also have uh, Butler, at um, Butler at Hinkle left, uh, which is a house of horrors for Villanova. Um, but, but doesn't do any, doesn't move the needle from, yeah. the, from a tournament standpoint. Yeah. So I would say, I don't think Villanova is really in the one conversation unless they went out and get help. Um, yeah. uh, but there's, I think, certainly potential on the two line. Okay. Okay. No, good to know. Um, but as we talked about, if they somehow climb their way into this, into the second best or first best two line, we might actually play ourselves out of the Eastern regional again. So. Yeah. I think that'll help because I think when we get to the selection Sunday, Gonzaga, I think we'll probably be the number one overall seed. Yeah. Uh, so there's less, less of that. Cause you won't be thrown there anyways. It's hard to look at them because they're Ken Palm and their, and their efficiency metrics are just insane compared to everybody else uh, off the charts. Now, there is some questions about Gonzaga. Like, there's always questions about Gonzaga every single year, but but you can't you can't argue with their quality metrics. Or uh, six great sweet 16s. Yeah. The guys win. Uh, they win. Uh, I was going to say, Mark Few has definitely proven that uh, he can get it done in March. So And before it's, they made six straight sweet 16s with great seeds. One of those is as an, is as an 11 seed. <laughs> crazy. There you go. That's That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Okay. Um, so we talked about what's their upper level mm-hmm. uh, thing. What's as low as Villanova can go? I, and we're going to win again. Let, let's just presume we win against Georgetown. We pick up another win. Let's just say Nova goes like two or three down the stretch. Uh, just kind of like loses to Providence both games, loses at UConn, and then go, you know, goes, you know, one and done in the Big East tournament. How low can Villanova realistically go? Can they drop out of the top four seeds? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, I, I think they could get to a five. Um, I, I would be surprised if they fell as far as a six, but I think they could get to a five. There are enough teams that are kind of flirting with that close to a jump in the rankings um, into the top four or like safely into the top four. Like I look at a team like Wisconsin and Providence, both of which are just like a couple blowout wins away from being locks for the top four seed lines. 
um, just because their quality metrics are so bad compared to their resume, but they have the resume already. It's just like they need a Michigan type win. Yeah. <laughs> to right. Inflate their metrics. Um, to, right. so Providence blows us out on Tuesday. It would make a, it would make a world of difference for them. Exactly. And, and really it's hard because I think Villanova is in good shape to land on three or four line um, as we progress, but, but it's hard. It's hard to judge how they're going to fill because really bracketology, as much as we want to talk about as a single team perspective, so much of it is how the, how everyone else does around. Yeah. Them. Right. 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 You want to say like, okay, if Villanova wins out, where do they wind up? And it's like, well, the, did Purdue lose twice or three times left? Yes, so. exactly. And I think if I'm looking at one of the teams on my ah, five line right now, I look at Texas and they aren't that far off. I think Texas's metrics are just behind Villanova's. So I think that there's a chance you could see Villanova get down to a five before selection Sunday. Uh, but I feel more comfortable. I think if I had to take a desk right now, just kind of having watched Villanova a bunch this season and figuring out where they're probably going to finish and teams around them finish, I think they'll land a three seed. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. Um, look, the reality of the situation is we've talked about this on our, on our podcast before. Villanova had a million opportunities presented to them, and candidly, they didn't win those opportunities. If if they beat UCLA, which they were up 10 on late in the game. If they beat Purdue, which they were up 10 on late in the game, like then we're having a much different conversation about, about Villanova uh, because they would have, A, added a numerical win, so they wouldn't have six losses, but in addition to that, They've been able to stake their claim on some of those high end quad one victories, which I know is a kind of like a sub uh, a subdivision of the quad one victory that would have been able to say, okay, boom, Villanova has a win over Purdue on a neutral. Therefore Villanova has a chance to really climb up, which they don't right now. Uh, So yeah. Okay. Thank you. That's, 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 that's immensely helpful. Let's just quickly swing around the big East in your mind. And I guess the question on everybody's mind is what does the committee do with a Providence where, where I think you had them on your four line uh, last I checked, they keep winning and yet they keep losing ground in the, in the, uh, in the Kempom metrics. Like yesterday they dropped, they beat DePaul. Um, which is not like a great win, but DePaul's not bad. Um, but they beat DePaul and fell like 10 spots in Kemba. What do you do with a team like that? Honestly, they're, I would put them up with Wisconsin and probably Wyoming as two of the trickiest teams to figure out from a bracketology perspective right now. Because there's no denying that their resume is, is a two-seed at worst. Um, yeah. Their pure resume metrics, their KPI is fifth, their strength of record is fifth, they're five and one in quad one, five and one in quad two. It, and no one's really on the same level in terms of that, yet their quality metrics say they should be a 10 seed. Um, it, it's, it's really un- impossible. And their net's not great. Their net says that they're, that they're 25th best team in the country, um, which I don't really put a whole lot of stock in the net as an individual ranking, but, but it's worth noting that's yet another metric that's not on par with where their resume is. Um, and this is a team where, where it's really even hard to find some comparisons um, to what you've done in the past. Probably the best straight comparison is Oklahoma State last year, right. um, uh, who was 29th in that, top 10 in, in both KPI and strength of record and ranked average 30th uh, in quality metrics. They were 10 and 6 in quad one, but they had two, they had two quad three losses. So it's not a perfect um, comparison between teams, but that Oklahoma State team got a four seed. Um, 
And I think that those, that's about the right spot for Providence. If you just straight average their metrics, which is something I use as my baseline for bracketology, they're on the, they'd be the first six seed. So, and for the most part, you don't see a team, 85% of teams land between one, land within one seed line um, of their straight even metric weighting. So I would think it, just based off of that research, it'd be hard to press to see me put Providence on the three line. Um, but I think that their resume is earned somewhere in the four or five spot. It's it's crazy because they win every game. It seems like, but they it, it really is unbelievable. And, and it's they feel like a team that either makes the final four because the luck just never not even on luck, but but like they're incredible close game finishes. Like they are unbelievably good in the clutch. Right. Um, either that continues and they make the final four, or they could be out quick. And I don't think either one of those results would really tell the story of their season. I know it's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. I just don't know. So I guess, so let's like parlay that a little bit into like what you're watching for um, with the, is it next week? Is it, are they doing the selection Correct. show next week? Okay. Yeah, they pushed right. it back a week because the Super Bowl got pushed back a week. Right. Okay. So they're the, pushing it back. That's on Saturday. If I recall correctly, they've done it the Saturday after the Super Bowl every year. Saturday after the Super Bowl at like 1230 leading into their 1130 leading into their big one o'clock slot on CBS. They kind of do this bracket preview show where they reveal the top four seed lines. I guess every bracketologist across the country is kind of looking at where do they put Providence? <laughs> yeah. And so and even actually even probably to an even bigger extent, where do you put Wisconsin? Where you put um, because I think Wisconsin might be in a little better shape than Providence is right now um, with very similar ideas for their mm-hmm. resumes. Um, so if either one of those teams is in the top 16, they're going to be a good place to look for the other team. Right. So if Wisconsin ends up on the four, that's maybe a little low, whatever, then Providence would maybe be a step lower than I think. And, and vice versa with if Providence lands in the top 16 where Wisconsin would go. So let's say the committee, let's just go like a hypothetical. Let's say the committee puts, Providence on the three line. Mm-hmm. Are you then revamping your bracketology, so to speak, to say, okay, resume metrics matter more? Is that uh, what your takeaway yes, would be? That, that would definitely that would be against what they've traditionally done in the past, which is they really would tend to favor quality metrics more towards the top of the bracket, and then resume metrics more towards the bottom, <laughs> uh, which which makes sense because they the, the committee will select their teams first and then seed. Um, so they'll select. Gotcha. So they have all 68 teams, see, like placed. Are 68. Now let's seed them. Now let's seed them. Okay. Gotcha. So I think that that plays into that, into factors. So do you select teams a little bit more based on what they've actually done and their resume? And then when you go to seed them, um, quality metrics maybe play a little bit bigger of a factor, um, because they, they're at that point trying to seed them based on how good they are. Um, so I think that goes into it, but definitely that would be a, that would be a surprise to me if Providence ended up that high. Uh, but that's part of bracketology. There are going to be surprises every year. Um, and I think that's the, that's the really good thing about uh, the bracket preview. And I think it's generally not that helpful in the long term. but I think that uh, it, it does set up some ideas of what the committee might be thinking for a month down the road. And I wouldn't be surprised. I haven't checked. I wouldn't be surprised if the bracket matrix scores have gotten better since then. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. Um, all right. Turning our attention away from Providence and Villanova, let's go to the back end. So I feel like, you know, I feel like when you're talking that, uh, you know, from the five to the eight line, it's kind of like, Oh, whatever. Um, and then you kind of talk about the bubble. Like everyone wants to know who's getting the top two or three seed lines and then who's on the bubble. 
Uh, right now, you have Seton Hall as an eight. Yep. Um, I don't. I would doubt yesterday hurt them much yeah. at all because um, they actually, I think, from a Ken Palm perspective, actually beat expectation. Um, so their metrics are probably decent. Um, but the they actually jumped four spots. Yeah, they jumped four spots by losing to Villanova. Gotcha. Yeah, it's hilarious. Um, uh, but that's that's Seton Hall for you. As long as you're not talking about January, Seton Hall's good. Um, yep. So so let's talk about the back end of the bubble in the Big East is Creighton, who you had in your next four out. Bracket Matrix has them as literally the last team in the field. What is what what what's your prognosis on Creighton? Honestly, I'm hedging a bit with next four out. Even I don't really like their resume. Um, very much. I think their quality metrics are atrocious. Um, they're 89th BPI. They're outside of the, they're averaging in the mid seventies, um, across, across quality metrics, which is just a step below everybody on the bubble. Um, I think that's the dead last mark, um, and quality metric averages of teams I'm considering for at large bids right now. Jeez. Um, they're four and five in quad one, which is the entire reason for putting them in the field. In my opinion, I think that they have Good win, they have good quality wins, um, and that's a leg up over a lot of bubble teams. I think if you're going to favor, if the committee wants to look at the last few teams in the field and say who has the best wins of this group, um, then Creighton has a good chance. Um, but they have one loss in quad three. They're zero and two in quad two. So really, their entire their entire resume hinges on how much that the committee is going to favor those really high. And how much does the right? committee favor uh, North Carolina? just kind of appearing on the jersey of the team. <laughs> and that's that's the point, too. And I think when we come down to the bubble, I think, as I pointed out, it, uh, I put a little bit more emphasis um, on resume metrics. And while Providence's are okay, they average 50 even, they aren't great. They aren't enough, I think, to – You mean Creighton, sorry. Creighton. Sorry, yes, Creighton. Yeah. They aren't enough to offset um, poor quality metrics. So I think – even for a team that I look at directly next to Creighton in the net right now, which is VCU. Um, VCU is 42nd in resume metrics. Creighton is 50. VCU is 71 in resume metrics. Creighton 74. Um, versus Creighton being four and seven in quads one and two. VCU six and six. And VCU has the advantage of not having Ace Baldwin for the first several games of the season, which the committee might take into effect. Right. Um, I, I see Creighton as a potential team to make the tournament because it has a good start on a resume, having those quality wins already built up as a good start, but they really need to increase those quality metrics down the stretch and they can't afford to take another bad loss. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, that, that makes sense. I guess my final question on the big East is, is does any other team have a chance to play their way onto the bubble, like St. John's or anything like that? Or is it, is it too far gone? They guys got to win their tournament. Yeah, I think they're too far gone. Okay. Um, I, I don't really see much for St. John's um, two and nine and quads one and two. Yeah, no, I mean, and the resume is not good. <laughs> they're just not there. Um, I don't think that they can make, for example, like Rutgers, the team that's lower in the net, that's kind of made a nice run recently. I don't think St. John's, not that they can't win three big games in a row, but I think they're just so far behind the eight ball uh, that they're in trouble. DePaul's far out. Georgetown's far out. And I won't talk about the other one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, Butler's got to win against Marquette. Just, and you know, and Oklahoma Hinkle, on the road. Let's go. And Oklahoma on the road. Hinkle magic until the until we die, baby. <laughs> um, no, um, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. I, and look, I think we were talking always Big East max seven bids. Um, 
you know, and then, and it looks like six of those are pretty strong. Um, Hall just needs to not fuck up too bad down the stretch. Um, I don't think any of the other teams are at too much risk. I think Xavier fans think they're at risk, but they're not. (laughs) Um, Yeah. They're a tricky bunch. They hate me anyways, but that's fine. (laughs) Well, the good news is everything that you said about Providence, this isn't a Providence podcast. And you know, the Providence fans will come out of the woodwork. Uh, oh yeah, they uh, certainly did. Jer- Jerry Palm ruined my metrics for a couple weeks. Ruined my mentions for a couple weeks with that BPI is not on the team sheet stuff. Oh my! God. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's a final good final question before we wrap up here. What's your biggest pet peeve as a as a bracketologist teeing you up for the Jerry Palm conversation? So I think that was my biggest pet peeve this season for sure, yeah. um, because I just couldn't believe it. Um, and so but- and so and so what, what he's talking about is. Jerry Palm has been answering questions on CBS. So like first or second, depending on if you're an ESPN guy or not, like, like most prominent bracketology guy, literally saying fake news (laughs) as to what appears on the team sheets uh, for these teams. That's why Jerry Palm got asked a question like, Oh, what appears? And he's like, well, Ken Palm doesn't appear. KPI doesn't appear. Blah, blah, blah. doesn't appear. And literally uh, what was it David Warlock? Who is yeah, like, the NCAA director of statistics. Really great guy, by the way. I love it. And <laughs> the NCAA director of statistics quote tweets Jerry Palm or or sorry, a journalist tweet and be like, "This is all wrong." What? <laughs> that's crazy. That's that's really that's a bad look. Wild. Yeah, but I think in general, my biggest bad peeve is probably conference record or head to head. Um, neither of which really play a major factor, but there's like that, I think right now, particularly with Kansas and Kentucky, which is a great blue blood conversation with fans that are all over you all the time, um, is that Kentucky blew out Kansas. So like, like how can you have Kansas? Allen ahead? Fieldhouse. Yeah. So like, how can you have Kansas ahead? Like that kind of thing. I think head to head gets a little overblown, um, and conference records irrelevant as much as I don't want it to be because Iowa state is, uh, conference yeah, record something else mess. but but i think that those two are probably the biggest pet peeves for me because neither of them really matter at all um particularly because conference record it plays into your overall record which matters uh, right if you have a ton of losses in conference play that's not a good thing right. but but the, the but actually your conference finished is irrelevant right okay gotcha all right Well, Lucas, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. We will continue to check out your bracket uh, since your bracket's way more reliable um, than Lenardi or Palm. Um, But but thank you for joining us again. If you want to follow Lucas, you can follow at Hardwired Sports. You can also follow Heat Check CBB um, online on Twitter, et cetera. Um, you post your brackets every Tuesday, Friday, is that Tuesdays right? and Fridays up until I think conference tournament week, I'll go to daily daily. Gotcha. The, the little minor shifts don't overreact. Right. <laughs> yes. Um, so thank you, Lucas, for joining us on the podcast. Um, really appreciate it. Um, thanks. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Awesome. All right. That wraps up our episode of the full 40. Thank you everybody for listening. Go Nova against Providence, and as always, let's go Nova.